1: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
2: Something certainly big developed in my life, and it is the bane of every radio announcer in the country, and that is a chronic cough. Long-term listeners to this program will probably remember those days. Certainly my engineer is shaking head yes with his finger dutifully poised over the mute button during that period of time. Well, call what I thought was a season of dealing with post-nasal drip. I'm an allergy sufferer. It's something that's been in the family. So uh, for me, it just seemed to be load up on Mucinex and make sure you take your allergy medication, and surely this will finally go away. Well, days turned into weeks, turned into months. The cough became worse. And I'll never forget my reaction going into my doctor's office describing the symptoms, and the next thing the doctor did was hand me a prescription for anti-reflux medication. And I sort of laughed it off, and I said, Wow, what, me? I don't even suffer from heartburn. This cannot possibly be acid reflux. There's something else going on here. Of course, you know, I, I'm not a doctor, but I played one on the radio. And, of course, the Internet gives us all the answers, right? So I would certainly know more than my physician would, wink, wink. To which my doctor replied, give it a month, if it's still an issue in a month, you call me, we'll take another look at it. Well, within a couple of three weeks, it was clear that my doctor had nailed it right on the head. That as I've gotten older, and as our diets, quite frankly, are not what they used to be, this became a pretty bad problem for me. But is medication necessarily the singular answer to dealing with acid reflux? And if not, what can we be doing To address this issue, joining me now is celebrated physician Dr. Jamie Kaufman, author of a number of best-selling books, including Dropping Acid, The Reflux Diet Cookbook and Cure, The Chronic Cough Enigma, and her latest book, Dr. Kaufman's Acid Reflux Diet, that includes 111 all-new recipes, including vegan and gluten-free. Dr. Kaufman is one of the country's leading laryngologists and founder and director of the Voice Institute of New York and serves currently as professor of otolaryngology at, uh, at the New York Eye and Ear Infirmary of Mount Sinai. And Dr. Kaufman, thanks so much for being with us. Oh, it's a pleasure. And boy, is your story an exemplary one. You know, it's just kind of a textbook in that regard, and it was just one of those issues where Uh, I mean, I've suffered with allergies my entire life, and all of a sudden I started noticing this this cough creeping in and could not have believed that it would have ever been associated with something like acid reflux. But at the end of the day, that certainly seems to be the case. But I I suppose the big question is this. You know, we're in this society today apt to want to take a pill to fix things that typically addresses symptoms but doesn't get to – the real causes. So, I guess just leading out the gate, perhaps we can use myself as a guinea pig here tonight, Dr. Coffin. Um, is this a case where all of a sudden in my early 50s, my stomach is producing more acid than it should, or what's really going on here?
3: Well, first of all, reflux simply means backflow. So, it's backflow from the stomach. And the idea that people would have heartburn, and everybody knows what that looks like on TV. You see somebody who's overeaten, who's burping and clutching his chest or bursting into flames. It turns out that this is actually incorrect. The majority of people who have reflux don't have heartburn. So that that in itself is, a, is sort of a wake up call. So well, wait a minute. If they don't have heartburn or indigestion, uh, the, the, the next question is what do they have? So post-nasal drip, chronic throat clearing, a sensation of a lump in the throat, cough, particularly a wet cough when you bring up stuff, Um, hoarseness, particularly morning hoarseness, waking up in the middle of the night uh, with coughing and choking, gasping for air like a fish out of water, asthma, uh, allergy symptoms, and even sinus problems. So it turns out that there are probably 125 million Americans that have reflux, and only about 25 million of those people have heartburn as their major symptoms. So that means all these other things are a surprise. And not only are they a surprise to people like you, you, weren't, you were surprised when your doctor said you had silent reflux, but indeed they're also surprises to many physicians. So credit and kudos to your physician for getting it right.
2: Now, let's talk about exactly what's going on here. Uh, When we talk about acid reflux, and you referred to what just a moment ago, doctor, as silent reflux, what is the difference between that and traditional, quote-unquote, heartburn?
3: Well, you know, if you think about it, I don't know how old you are, but, I mean, I'm pushing 70. So when I grew up, my mother put dinner on the table at 6 o'clock. You could set your clock by her. And uh, the, everything was local. The, the chickens came from a local person. Um, all the vegetables came locally. We did not go out to eat very often. Maybe uh, once a month we'd go to a steakhouse or for a restaurant. And um, uh, 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 there was no fast food. People weren't drinking soda pop all day. So in our lifetimes, in my lifetime, the obesity epidemic, the diabetes epidemic, the reflux epidemic, the asthma epidemic, the sleep apnea epidemic, and a whole host of other medical problems that have exploded are actually all related, and mostly they have to do with how our diets and our lifestyles have changed. We eat later, we eat worse, we eat chemicals, we eat acids, and so on. Uh, if, If you asked me, however, what silent reflux is, Silent reflux is reflux that occurs at night while you're asleep. So you don't have heartburn. Maybe you don't wake up. But it causes all kinds of mischief, including in the sinuses in the nose and the throat. And then when you wake up in the morning, you have sinus, nose, and throat symptoms. So silent reflux is pre- predominantly nighttime reflux. And it usually occurs with people who eat late, who eat too much in the evening, who don't have much breakfast to lunch and who eat not very healthy foods.
2: I have to wonder too, doctor, in in terms of the impact, I mean, in my case, it was clearly irritating the back of my throat. And the minute that we addressed it over a short period of time, suddenly this chronic hacking cough went away. But I have to wonder too, I mean, acid, uh, I've got to imagine for certain parts of the esophagus and upper throat area can't be good. I mean, the stomach is designed to have acid and and acid serves a very important function, doesn't it? It's just when it gets to the wrong places that it becomes problematic.
3: Well, you're absolutely correct. Not only is is it not belonging in the throat, when you look at the lining membranes of, say, the vocal cords, those membranes are a thousand times more sensitive to acid than the esophagus. The esophagus is a swallowing tube That joins the throat, and the stomach. In other words, that esophagus is pretty tough. It's designed for it. Even normal people who don't have reflux disease will have some reflux some of the time after some meals. But once it gets up into the throat, by the way, we've come up with a new term called respiratory reflux. And the reason this term came about was to alert people to the idea that any respiratory symptom, in respiratory is nose, throat, voice box, bronchial tubes, lungs, the whole respiratory tract, any part of that lining is very sensitive to acid, very sensitive to, to digestive enzymes. And so we see these people who have been misdiagnosed or or uncertain of what's going on all turn out to have reflux. It's about oh I don't know, ninety percent of people who have a wet cough uh, which is an awful lot of people. Chronic cough is, is one of the most common symptoms for which a person sees a doctor.
2: Now I have to wonder, in relationship to the impact that that acid reflux can have um, on some of those <clears throat> more sensitive tissues, does this also put it at an put us at an increased risk for certain types of cancer?
3: It does, in my opinion. Uh, you can get cancer without smoking but not without reflux, and we're talking about esophageal cancer and lung cancer, throat cancer, and even mouth cancer. There's a lot of work that's been done on reflux looking at the relationships between cancer and reflux, and reflux seems to be a big, big factor. Uh, we know for sure that a cancer of the esophagus, which is reflux-caused, there's not much question about that, is the fastest growing cancer in America in terms of its incidence up about 800% since 1970. So that's a big change. An uh, 8-fold eight, eight increase in esophageal cancer. So we know that there's a relationship with cancer, but but just as important is the relationship with asthma, with COPD, with cough, with all kinds of respiratory problems, and I think that if you look across the population Um, Less than 1% or 2% are at risk for developing cancer, but a whole bunch of people are at risk for developing all these other things, by the way, including sleep disturbances and sleep apnea and snoring. They're all related in many cases, not all, but they're often related to reflux.
2: And, of course, all of this begs the big question. If this wasn't an issue that was so widespread a generation or two ago, What's changed? Well, Dr. Kaufman hinted a moment ago to what's changed. Our lifestyles have changed. Our diets have changed. And we're taking perhaps the incorrect path to address all of this. Well, certainly it's great that uh, certain types of medications have been developed, including these proton pump inhibitors that can reduce the impact of acid reflux on uh, sufferers. Is it necessarily the only way to go when it comes to addressing this issue? We're going to get to that part of the equation as we continue our conversation today. We are uh, delighted to have celebrated author with us and physician Dr. Jamie Kaufman. The book is called Dr. Kaufman's Acid Reflux Diet, uh, this on the heels of a couple of other bestsellers on the topic, dropping acid, the reflux diet cookbook, and the chronic cough enigma. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of our conversation as Lifeline
1: continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
2: Our guest today is professor of autolaryngology at the New York Eye and Ear Infirmary of Mount Sinai Hospital, and also a celebrated author. Her latest of three books, Dr. Kaufman's acid reflux diet. We're talking about this topic that impacts millions of American lives. And of course, the typical response to a diagnosis, Dr. Kaufman, of acid reflux by many physicians today is to do what my doctor did, and that is write out a script and say, here, in my case, uh, 20 milligrams of uh, protonics a day, and uh, call me in a month and let me know how you're doing. Uh, that would suggest, I would imagine, in my own mind, that it's like to say somebody who's constantly taking aspirin for a headache, that that somehow is because they have a aspirin deficiency in their body. Uh, is this necessarily a case of my, of my stomach, in my case, uh, producing more acid than it should on its own? Or does a lot of this really have to do with lifestyle and diet? In other words, is this really manageable outside of taking medication?
3: Not only is it manageable without a medication there now is increasing evidence that the medicines that we thought were going to be so miraculous for reflux are not so miraculous. Um, Right now, the the, the group of of medications called proton pump inhibitors, they include uh, Protonix and Nexium, Dexalent, Prevacid, uh, what have I left, Nexium. All of these medicines, they're, they're relatively powerful acid suppressants. But even if you take them, you still will make acid. So the best acid-suppressant medicine doesn't knock out all the acid. That's the first thing. The second thing is we've now seen a relationship with these group, PPIs, proton pump inhibitors they're called, with um, heart disease, kidney disease, bone disease, and most recently a question about uh, Alzheimer's. But actually, the most compelling argument against the use, and by the way, you were on the right way. If you're going to be on these kind of medicines, it should be in terms of weeks, not in terms of years. Um, the most compelling evidence against long-term use, and many doctors say, listen, just you know, take your pills and you can eat what you want. And the reality is that's not true. In 2014, there was a Danish national study of 10,000 people And they looked at these people and found that people who took the pills for several years had a, listen to this now, an increased, not a decreased risk, an increased risk of developing reflux-caused esophageal cancer. So what that says to me is that these pills knock down the symptoms but don't necessarily control the disease. And so that gets to root cause, root cause. Let's just say you get invited to a dinner party on a Saturday night, 8.30. And from 8.30 to 9.30, you have a glass of wine, perhaps. Or maybe you don't. You have hors d'oeuvres. And then you sit down to a rich meal, uh, uh, two, three courses, a chocolate dessert, and a pushback from the table at 11 o'clock or even midnight. Um, all the people at that dinner party are going to have reflux that night. You can have a big, huge meal at that hour and not reflux all night. And so of the risk factors, if you ask me what are the most important sort of uh, defenses that we can all apply, not eating after 8 o'clock at night, not overeating, making sure you have a reasonable diet, meaning you eat breakfast, you eat snacks, you eat lunch, you get most of your calories before five o'clock so you don't have to have a major refuel when you get home from work late. And then uh, Soda Pop, my first book's called Dropping Acid, and it's not called Dropping Acid for no reason. In 1973, following an outbreak of food poisoning, the FDA said you have to have a little bit of acid in everything in a bottle or a can to kill bacteria. Unfortunately, uh, people who manufacture these have decided that lots of acid must be good if a little acid kills bacteria, so we now have basically everything in a bottle or a can with the same acidity as stomach acid I know that 's hard to believe so cutting out, cutting away from not only you know a soda pop but also other uh, beverages that are bottled, even things that look look healthy like energy drinks and fruit juices have acid added. And then not too high fat. And so the, the bottom line is lean, clean, green, and alkaline. And alkaline or alkaline means I'm um, not too much acid in the diet. By the way, I'm not a big fan of apple cider vinegar for reflux.
2: Yeah, I, I've heard that reported as, a, as a, uh, one method of dealing with it. I, I never quite bought into that. I mean, for me, if I was really desperate, a little glass of milk seems to do the trick.
3: Yes, milk is al- alkaline, by the way. For people who don't know, um, alkaline is the opposite of acids. So if you take something that's alkaline and something that's acidic, it gets neutralized. And so um, of all the things out there, there's something called alkaline water. And indeed, a water will percolate through the ground and become anti-acid or alkaline. So alkaline water is really quite good for refluxers. And many people with reflux will tell when they started drinking alkaline water, it helped their reflux quite a bit.
2: So there is a degree to which trying to balance the pH levels does make sense. But as you're suggesting too, doctor, just in terms of of the, the schedule and manner in which we eat, uh, not encouraging your stomach to go into high production of acid because it's just finished a huge meal and is now going to be working on breaking that down over the next several hours as we're sleeping is probably one of the smartest ways to start.
3: Well, you know, let's just talk about what happens when you lie down. If your stomach's full, you lose gravity, right? Stuff doesn't run uphill as well as it runs through a flat canal. So you lose gravity. You lose the benefit of being upright. The second thing is if you, let's just pretend you're a little overweight, when you lie down, the weight of your abdomen, of your belly, let's just say you've got a beer belly, the weight of that belly is now pushing on your stomach. And for people who are really overweight, um, it doesn't really even matter whether they eat, they're going to be pushing on their stomach all night, even with a little bit of acid, it's coming up. So being overweight certainly is a factor in eating um, and lying down. And, and by the way, it's not just, let's uh, it's just say, you know, you had a busy day at work, you finished late, you went and, went and exercised at the gym, you got home, you didn't really have time for lunch, you're starving – Um, Now what happens is they're having the biggest meal of the day at 8.30. So that, I've said it twice, and so I'll, I'll make it the last time. That's probably the greatest risk factor there is for silent reflux. So that gets to the question of what do you do. What I recommend for people, and by the way, you asked an important question that I never answered. How do you know if you have reflux? There's something called the reflux symptom index, which is a quiz, it's on my website. it's in every one of my books. It takes about a minute to fill it out. You circle uh, nine items from zero to five. and if your score is 15 or more on the reflux index, then you have a 90 percent chance of having reflux. So you can look at those symptoms and fill out those uh, circles and see if you've got uh, likely to have reflux.
2: By the way, I did take the test, and I came in at a 27. Yeah, yeah, sir, that's
3: 27.
2: Yeah, Yeah, looking at all the symptoms based on what was happening at the time I was diagnosed a year and a half ago, uh, I said, okay, well, yeah, here we are, 27. I guess we answered that question. Hey, if you've just joined us, Dr. Jamie Kaufman is with us today. We're dealing with an issue that, quite frankly, millions of Americans are facing, myself included, and that is acid reflux and as we're learning the pill prescription might seem to be an easy way out but it's not the best way out and some of this research including the Danish study to which Dr. Kaufman just referred to a moment ago is in fact beginning to demonstrate that taking of medications to deal with acid reflux might in fact be exacerbating the problem and making the circumstances even worse. So what do we do? Certainly we know acid production is necessary, is the fashion in which the body, the stomach breaks down foods and processes foods for energy and calories that you need and all of that. But yet, our diets today, increased use of preservatives that are in there, as Dr. Coffin mentions, a high degree of acidity as a preservative in so many foods today. And when you add to that, Eating late, eating too much, it just becomes a recipe for disaster. All right, speaking of recipes, so then as we've understood what some of the causes are and we know what the general medical community has done to try to address it, simply give you a pill, what's the better way out? If that's is needed, then how do we manage it better? And how do we deal with this matter of lifestyle and diet? We're going to get to that part of the conversation. Our discussion today with Doctor Jamie Kaufman—a look at acid reflux diet, the new book, by the way, uh, newly published, available at bookstores throughout the Bay Area, as well as through the usual suspects, Amazon.com, and you can also get it through Doctor Kaufman's website, VoiceInstituteOfNewYork.com. That's voice, like voice, aw, Voice Institute of New York. Dot com. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more remarks and insights as Lifeline continues.
1: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
2: She is professor of otolaryngology at the New York Eye and Ear Infirmary of Mount Sinai Hospital and also the author of a number of best-selling books, including the latest, Dr. Kaufman's Acid Reflux Diet. We're talking about this topic of acid reflux, what it is, how to address it. So far, the medical community largely, and I, I don't wish this to be a blanket accusation, but largely the idea of writing a prescription, sending you home with some medication seems to be the way we've addressed it. But as Dr. Kaufman is pointing out, that really is addressing a symptom. It's not getting to the root causes, such as eating too late, eating too much. Uh, eating, quite frankly, uh, the wrong kind of diet. Toward that end, let's get into some of the the key points here, if you can, Dr. Kaufman. Uh, The book, by the way, I'll mention for listeners, has an exhausted list of complete entrees and recipes toward the back. As we mentioned, over 111 new recipes. But as we talk about some of the major categories, Dr. Kaufman, to avoid, which ones are sort of the worst when it comes to being contributory to acid reflux?
3: Well, there are different mechanisms of reflux. So fat makes the, uh, uh, for reflux, high fat meals, um, acid makes for reflux, um, caffeine and nicotine, they make uh, the valves relax and make for reflux. And uh, so if you, if you ask me what I recommend, if, let's just say you take the quiz and you say, gee, I think I have silent reflux or it's, it's a real possibility. What I recommend is a two-week reflux detox. Um, it's not easy. The only fruit you can have is melons and bananas. The only meat you can have is poultry or fish. I consider fish-like meat. Um, no condiments, uh, only egg whites, um, nothing out of a bottle or a can except water, or one cup of coffee a day uh, or tea. Uh, no alcohol. If you drink alcohol, it must be zero. And then the kitchen must close by 7 o'clock, assuming you go to bed at 11. So that it's a strict two-week detox. And usually what happens is in two weeks people go, whoa, my cough has stopped, whoa, my voice has been okay, or my throat clearing is better, or this lump in the throat doesn't feel so uh, worrisome and annoying. So at the end of two weeks people then say, okay, what do I do now? The detox is listed in all the books, and it's easily found, this detox diet. And it's a list of things you can eat rather than can't eat. By the way, nothing fried, and the only uh, of the fats that we permit, no butter, is olive oil. So it's pretty, pretty tight. And if you really think about it, what it is is lean, clean, green, and alkaline. Lean, Uh, There's no red meat or very little red meat thereafter, after the detox phase. You shouldn't be having red meat every day. Um, Clean is a very important concept. If you have an energy bar that you love and you turn it over to read the ingredients and it has 16 unpronounceable chemicals on the back, um presume that it's poison and you should try and find a new one that's much more natural and has fewer chemicals. I mean many many of the manufacturers are beginning to start taking out some of these chemicals and these preservatives. They're not good for you. And so that gets uh to 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 green. We know what green means. Green means organic, which is another way of clean, and also of course uh uh, uh greens are good for you. So you start having things like this morning I had a three-egg omelet with one yolk and, and lox smoked salmon. And then uh, for lunch, we got uh, roasted chicken with uh, vegetables and potatoes. For a snack, I had a Fuji apple um, and uh, then an avocado. And for dinner, I had uh, a, a, a sushi. So, you know, I'm not saying you should eat like that every day, but it does represent a paradigm shift compared to, um, you know, two cheeseburgers, fries, and a Coke.
2: And as you're suggesting here... there are a lot of foods that are really triggers, essentially that the stomach says, "Okay, I'm going to have a lot of work to do here." There's much more that has to be, or something that's more difficult to digest, like red meats, and so therefore it's stimulating additional acid reproduction. Is that accurate?
3: Well, it stays in the stomach a long time, red meat, and uh, and and by the way, you brought up a very important word, the word trigger. Um, you've implied that it makes more acid. I'm not sure whether it makes more acid, but it makes reflux. Of the acid that's in the stomach come up. And so, among the big triggers for some people, by the way, none of them, uh, these things that I'm going to mention, are for everyone. Um, chocolate is a big trigger food for some people, particularly uh, milk chocolate. Um, alcohol is a big trigger. Uh, onions, garlic, tomatoes, peppers. Um, Nuts, particularly macadamia nuts and cashews, the safest of the nuts for the reflux are are, uh, um, uh, pistachios and almonds. And um, uh, uh, too much caffeine, there's probably nothing wrong with a cup of coffee for most people or two or even three. But if you're drinking a pot of coffee before noon, you'd probably have reflux regardless of whether coffee is an actual trigger food. It's the caffeine. So, you know, the question is, what do people do? And in many cases, they they double down on their mistakes. And so I think what starts to happen, the reason I've done what I've done, the reason my work um, is, uh, I believe, is important is it it addresses the basic question of what does represent healthy eating. What do we know today?
2: And most importantly, I I I think, as you've underscored both in our conversation today and throughout the book, simply taking a medication and thinking we can take this one little tiny pill a day and eat whatever we want, whenever we want, is, is largely really been a, a wives tale, hasn't it?
3: It's dead wrong. In fact, it, it, I mean, uh, we, at least in my practice, virtually every single patient who comes to me is already on the medicine, so we know that there are millions of people who even on the medicine are, are suffering. Uh, by the way, I should mention that it's not it never should have been allowed to have these kind of medicines over the counter, and here's why. Uh, the medicine, uh, when you buy it, it says take it for two weeks. Well, what happens after two weeks is people stop cold turkey. And about half of people, when they stop cold turkey, then that's when you get this hyperacidity. That's when you have this what we call rebound hyperacidity. So what happens is they were doing sort of okay for two weeks, and they quit and they get terrible symptoms. And then what they do is they, they tough it out for a little while, and the next thing, they're back on the medicine for two more weeks. And so although this is good for drug sales and for the, for, for the manufacturers, it's not so good for people who do it. So this question about medication, I should point out that there is another class of medicine that, that is safer and that can be taken on an as-needed basis. And although it's a medical term, they're called H2 antagonists. And the three that are available are Zantac, Tagamet, and Pepsid. And those three are much safer over the long haul. They can be taken, gee, I'm having some symptoms, and I'm going to take these for a few days or a week, and even longer. And in fact, we use them in pregnancy.
2: Interesting. At the end of the day, then, doctors, you're suggesting that the, the, the real way to address this issue is by a change in lifestyle and diet, and that then raises, I think, uh, the, the final important question for everyone eavesdropping on our conversation, and that is, of your patients that move toward the healthier lifestyle and the, the more friendly diet, how many are able to get completely off of any sort of, uh, of the proton pump inhibitors and be able to remain essentially acid-free in terms of its impact? The
3: vast majority, when patients come to me, they're highly motivated, people who have, you know, terrible problems, breathing, people who have had multiple sinus surgeries, people who are miserable. Um, Those people um, who are willing to stick with the program, what I tell them is, listen, you're going to be under my care for a year. Um, You're going to go on medicine to start out with, varieties of different types of medicine, not just acid suppressants, by the way. And the goal is to be medicine-free and asymptomatic and essentially healthy without any reflux a year from now. And that means that they will, have, in many cases, lost weight. In many cases, their cholesterols are better. Their diabetes is under control. So we're talking about basically a big, 50, you know, like a 50,000-mile tune-up. In my experience, uh, 90% of our patients. I get substantial improvement, and the majority get well.
2: Well, wow. that's a pretty remarkable uh, response rate and, and one that I think ought to give encouragement to all of us. The book is called Dr. Kaufman's Acid Reflux Diet. It includes 111 all-new recipes, including vegan and gluten-free, and it's available at bookstores throughout the Bay Area. You can also order the book online through Dr. Kaufman's website, voiceinstituteofnewyork.com. That's Voice. Institute of New York.com. And our thanks to best selling author and physician Dr. Jamie Kaufman for being with us on this segment of Lifeline.
1: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
2: Well, with the start of the new semester, many parents in the Bay Area are getting a bit of an education about public education. Did you know, for example, that a school nurse working in California public schools may not give an aspirin to your child without parental permission? But that same nurse may arrange transportation for your daughter to Planned Parenthood to have an abortion, and by law, they're not required to tell you. By California law, transgendered and questioning students may use the bathroom of their choice without regard to their biological gender or impact on other students of the opposite sex. For years, sex education in public schools had been optional. If parents wanted their children to take a sexual health class, they had to sign up for the instruction. But a new state law in effect this year requires all California public school students to take sex education beginning in the seventh grade. And reading of the Bible or teaching about Christian beliefs in public schools, well, that's against the law in California. But you might be surprised to learn that one California school district openly teaches about Islam, even encouraging students to memorize portions of the Quran, while the Bible and Christianity remain off-limits. Brian Recton joins us in studio to talk a bit about the KFAX back-to-school half-off tuition opportunity, and boy, there's got to be a sense of some parents now, with the start of the new semester, and their kids are coming back questioning things, bringing questionable homework assignments, and wondering what is going on in public education.
4: Well, it's clearly a different world today that we're living in in the public school environment, and Uh, A lot of our listeners are aware of a program that we've been offering for six years where it's called uh, Back to School at Half Price. What a lot of parents may not know is it's not too late, even though they've probably already enrolled their children into the public school system. Those first uh, semester report cards are going to come out. They've already probably had conversations with with their children about questionable teachings at the school. It's not too late. We have a list of Christian schools on our website at kfax.com. And these schools are just waiting with open arms, especially with families from the public school system, where they're going to get a quality education that's not going to disagree with the standards and the beliefs of of the home life. And uh, those schools are listed on our website. So for those that have been listening uh, over the years, we've been doing this for six years. We have over 185 families that have enrolled in Christian school as a result of these vouchers, where a family pays half price for that first year where they enroll their child in a Christian school. More than enough time for you to gauge the quality of the school, the quality of the education, and and then make a determination if you want to re-enroll you're not under any obligation to, but the option is there to re-enroll and keep your child in that environment that agrees with what you're teaching them at home.
2: And I would imagine down through the years, Brian, because you have the opportunity to speak directly with many of the families, that the reports coming back of the difference that Christian education is having in the lives of their students have to be remarkable enough that making the way, making the sacrifice to continue that enrollment throughout their school as to career becomes a top priority because they've seen the stark difference, not just between many of the moral values that we spoke of earlier, but the percentile of students that graduate from a Christian school and move on to a four-year college or university is higher than in public education. In fact, public education, they're having a difficult time even getting students to graduate. Only 85% of public high school students in California actually make it to graduation.
4: Well, you know, it's interesting you'd say that because we have some of the schools that are listed on our website that have participated all six years that have a 100% acceptance rate of their high school seniors graduating and going on to college, the quality of the education is unquestionable. Um, the standards are high again you 're not going to have to filter when your kids come home. What did you learn today you're actually you 're going to be anxious for them to come home and hear what they learned today if they 're in a Christian school. The real point uh, for for today is for parents to understand that it 's not too late if they 've already had conversations about gee, I wish we, you know, I wish we weren't in the public school. I wish we could pull our kids out. At least go to the website where we have the schools listed. All the information on these schools, the websites, the address, the contact information. Feel free to call the schools. Just tell them that you're exploring the possibility of a KFAX voucher and uh, go take a tour of the school. You can do all that. Then come back, claim the voucher, Get your child into a school environment where they're not only going to get a quality education, but it's going to be Christ-centered, and it's not going to be in disagreement with what you're teaching them at home.
2: And the never-too-late message is important, I think, particularly for parents who have seen their students now matriculate to the next level. So they finished mid-school, now they're in junior high school, completed their junior high school career, they've moved on to high school, and the parents are beginning to wonder, wow, what's happened here? Mm. This new school is not like the last one, and we're really concerned about our child's education, not only scholastically, but morally and spiritually as well. And that's the important thing that you point out, Brian. It's not just a matter of top-notch education, reading, writing, and arithmetic, as we used to say, but it's making sure that the principles that are being taught and underscored day-to-day in your child's life by arguably... The largest influence, because they spend the most time, more time than most parents do, six, seven hours a day, making sure that what is being taught and underscored is, in fact, in harmony with your beliefs, the teachings of your Mm -hmm. church, and in the biblical fashion in which you would like to raise your son or daughter.
4: And and not to mention, Craig, you know, I talk to a lot of parents that have pulled their kids out of public school. One of the big complaints that they had was that basically the, the, the public school's teaching crowd control. I mean, you got classrooms with 30 or 40 students um, in a in a private school environment. It's half that in most cases. Uh, the, the quality of the education we've already talked about. I, I would encourage listeners to go to the website. We have a map that shows where all these schools are. So clearly, you know, if there's no school participating in your geographic area, well, then then it may not be an option for you. But if there is a school or two in your geographic area, at least it's something to pray about. It's something to consider. And then when that report card comes out or your child comes home with, you know, another issue that doesn't agree with your teaching at home, well, then you're that much closer to at least contacting the schools, meeting with them, taking a tour. Any family listening, any parent listening now can call me uh, on that website at kfax.com where they click on the banner for the back to school. They'll see my name, my number, my email address. Be happy to answer any questions that families might
2: have. So if throughout this year you've thought it not necessary and – discovered in the opening weeks of the new semester. Oh, yes, a private and Christian-based education is very necessary for my son or daughter. And then, of course, you had thought heretofore it wasn't possible. Well, actually, now it is possible. Thanks to the KFAX Half-Off Tuition Opportunity. Details available again on the web along with that interactive map at kfax.com. Just click on the Back to School banner and it will take you directly to the page with all that information. You can do the research on the school near you, make an appointment to take a tour of it, and find out whether or not you conclude that not only is Christian education right for your child, but also thanks to the KFAX Half-Off Back to School opportunity. Affordable for your child. Online at KFAX.com. That's KFAX.com. Or you can call toll-free for more information, 800-947-5329. That's 800-947-KFAX. And, Brian, I know that down through the years you've heard many exciting and encouraging testimonies that have come back from parents and grandparents, too, who Mm. have uh, made the, the effort taken the time and made the investment in their child's life. And I guess at the end of the day, the results really speak for themselves.
4: Craig, I have a scrapbook of uh, cards, uh, letters, emails. I even have some families that send me photographs of their children, you know, when the the school does the class photos, and they'll send me one. They just, they want to keep me abreast of what's happening. And, you know, in many cases, these children are, it's life transforming. The families are so glad that they that they finally said, yes, I'm going to do this. And then, you know, taste and see that these schools are good, and then you'll you'll find a way. And that's what most of these families say. You know, yeah, it's a struggle. Private school is not cheap, but you're not going to have those contradictions on a daily basis. And I believe that God, with God's help, you'll find a way to be able to keep your child enrolled in a Christian school.
2: And in all these years that we have been covering public education, private education here on Lifeline, I will tell you this. One thing I have never heard from a KFAX listener in almost 30 years, and that's this. We regret that we sent our child to a Christian school. Uh Never hear it said. So to get more information, go online, kfax.com. That's kfax.com, and click on the Back to School banner. Or again, you can call toll-free for more information, 800-947-5329. That's 800-947-KFAX.
1: Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Media Group. All rights reserved